Hi, I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today, well, I'm not going to be presenting this, but rather Andy Sheckman, outstanding journalist, is. It's an interview about what is happening with China and their new Silk Road and all the countries and all the people and all the gross domestic product is going to be made by China and its allies because these are allies and we're including almost all the Gulf Coast uh, countries, all the oil producers, and they're aligning themselves to have their own mixed currencies. Well, what will that mean for the U.S. dollar? What backs up your savings backs up the value of your assets, the dollar. And since Brenton Woods, that's been the primary currency of exchange around the world. So when people want to buy oil, they have to use U.S. dollars. So all that money ends up coming back to us. And that's why our currency is so strong historically. So other countries actually came in uh, after 2008 when the Great Recession occurred and bought up T-bills because the United States government would never go bankrupt. They would never not pay their debt because if they did, the entire U.S. economy would collapse within hours, literally hours, not even one day. It would just completely drop because if the government says, well, we have nothing backing up our currency, it's a fiat currency, and we have between unfunded entitlements, how we took what was not an entitlement. Social Security is not an entitlement. You and I pay into Social Security. The government does not. It doesn't match us. Our employer may, but it's our money. We worked our whole lives and set a certain amount out of every paycheck to go to Social Security fund. That was supposed to be a trust that nothing could touch. But along come some Democrats, and they decide, no, let's borrow against it. And they did trillions upon trillions of dollars. So what does the government do? Harden money going in, and then they spend it without our knowledge or permission. Most people are not even aware of this, and put an IOU in it. Okay, here's a... Here's a pledge that we'll pay it back at some point in the future or reboot it. You add up all the money that we owe or will owe, plus all the debt at the state level, the federal level, your personal level, your mortgage, your car, your uh, credit cards, uh, your student loans, all the things you bought that you had to buy on credit. You add all that up, the interest on the debt, and you're looking at around 220 trillion dollars, not the 31 trillion they've been telling you. That's just the interest on the debt. No. We are completely bankrupt because when you take 24 trillion dollars that we get in in gross domestic product and compare it to our debt, most time they've been comparing it to uh, to our interest on the debt. They haven't included all the debt the government owes or will owe or be obligated to owe. If you did that, we're about somewhere around 1,200% debt to gross domestic product. We're bankrupt. So why should you know this? Because almost everything is based upon the dollar as the dynamic currency, even though it's lost about 95% or more of its value. So quietly, China has now formed a relationship with Russia. Russia is the largest uh, producing country in the world of, of natural gas, of of wood has a small population, only around 160 million, and yet you could drop the entire United States just in the farmland section of Russia, have a lot more room left over. Now you take in China, which has the second largest population in the world. India is about 1.4 billion. China's just about the same. And uh, now China's got most of the minerals in the world. The minerals we need to manufacture our computers, our cell phones, our televisions, our cars. Between China and Russia, they control the vast majority of that. So just imagine now where China decides it's going to spend trillions of dollars, but it's going to build roads and factories and gigantic malls, and it's going to be able to do this on the land and on the ocean. Big ports is going to build trains, high-speed trains that can take you from point A to point B 
in astronomical times because they had the fastest trains in the world. And they construct faster than any other thing you've ever seen. Here in the United States, if you want to build a skyscraper, not even a big skyscraper, let's say 40-story skyscraper, it's going to take about three years, more or less, because you've got to go through all the permitting and buy the land and get the finances together, all the contractors, before you finally are able to rent out the offices or sell the space. Three years to four years. China will build that same skyscraper from beginning to end in 13 days. 13 days they can build a gigantic building. So what they've done with their architecture, what they've done with their building, what they've done to raise the standard of living for over 400 million poor Chinese. Mind you, we have about 334 million Americans, more or less. They've raised more out of abject poverty than we have the entire population of the United States. And now they're making stuff that we used to make. So we used to have a thriving middle class, and China now has a thriving middle class. But they know that they have to keep growing, so now they're working with partners. They're going into Saudi Arabia, they're going into Iran, they're going clear up into Europe and saying, we will work with you at no cost to you. We're going to fund this, and you'll be a partner. So people are saying, of course, you know, you're going to increase the capacity for us to have employed people making living wage. Now, China has, China has conditions on all this, and it's going to control almost all of it. Now, imagine what happens in the next year or two where China becomes the number one economic power in the world, and it will, inevitably, absolutely, it's going to, because it has, does not have the debt that we have, is not burdened by all that. And because they build stuff very quickly, and that makes them allies. So when was the last time the United States went into an African country? There are 54 countries in Africa and said, we want to help your citizens. We're going to build new universities, big hospitals. We're going to st uh, staff the hospitals and get the latest equipment. So no matter what condition is needed, brain surgery you know, or spinal surgery, you're going to be able to have the best of the best. What country is going to say, no, 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 no. We want to have under understaffed hospitals with minimal equipment, most of it not working? No. So everyone's lining up. At least 65 partners right now, countries, 65 countries. You thought it was just BRICS? B is for Brazil, R is for Russia, I is for India, uh, K is for, uh, well, it's actually India, no, over. They had the BRICS nations, including South Africa and Brazil and India, Russia and China. But now Argentina and Venezuela, all these other countries around the world, up to 70, want to become a part of BRICS. That means they're going to be influencing a huge amount of people. They're going to have, they're going to have an economy that will dwarf Europe and the United States, dwarf it. And it's not based upon building military bases. So, you thought your savings were secure. You thought the banking system was had your interest at stake. The programming you're about to see, and I commend it, it's a very good program, is going to turn all that upside down. And it's from very credible sources. So this is the story that no one in the media is discussing in the United States. But this is the story you really need to know because then it'll tell you what you should be doing on your own to protect your own future and finances. And now to our, to our program. And again, this is an outside program. We thought enough at Rodney, uh, who runs Progressive Radio Network in New York. He said, Gary, I've watched this. This is a real eye-opener. They're saying things the average American needs to hear that we're not hearing from anyone in the United States and certainly not people on Wall Street and the banking community or the government. I watched. I agreed. See what you think now. Now to our story. I'm Michelle McCorry, and we are back at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, where one of the big themes has been the challenge to the dollar-dominated monetary system. And my next guest says a global monetary reset is already underway. 
Andy Schechtman is the president and owner of Miles Franklin Precious Metals. He has three decades of experience in the precious metal sector and is a very well-regarded expert on monetary history and political economy. Welcome to Kitco, Andy. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Although, as I said to you earlier, it's a little bit terrifying hearing what you break down for us. And it all hinges off this idea of de-dollarization, which seems to be gaining momentum following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the way the dollar has been increasingly weaponized, taking Russia off the SWIFT system. The BRICS taking notice of this and saying, well, perhaps we should have our own currency backed by commodities. We've seen those conversations happen and develop following the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which arguably was a disaster. We had Saudi Arabia question whether they want to be part of the BRICS and question their relationship with the United States. And we've also got Russia, for example, offering to help Iran with a gold-backed stable coin. So we have all of these pieces falling into place. And, and perhaps not coincidentally, we've also seen central banks buying gold at record rates. Now, you say all of these are just data points that if you connect them together, you see a narrative that points towards a global monetary reset. And it all started for you in 2017 when you saw that the Bundesbank, Germany, was repatriating its gold. So why don't we take it from there, Andy? Break down your thesis, joining those dots for us. Sure. Thank you. Um, that's well done. That's, that's a, a good roadmap. So it's true. You know, at the end of 2011, as the, as the bull market started to head down into a bear market, um, by, by 2017, we saw capitulation on many levels, not only with the retail investor, but also the central banks. Central banks were selling their gold. It really never made a whole lot of sense to me. And uh, by 2017, we were at really the, at the peak of, of the bear market in precious metals. And this was when Bitcoin was taking off. And there were a lot of people selling their gold and uh, talks of central banks divesting of gold and investing in treasuries or asset uh, uh, income producing assets. And then out of nowhere, a, a story popped up that the Bundesbank had been trying to repatriate their gold for a few years, but started to really make a big deal of it in 2017. It caught my eye. At why would they want to repatriate their gold from the New York Fed in the midst of what seemed to be a a movement away from precious metals and into other forms of investment. It was very interesting they made such a big deal. And within a few weeks of that, you had the Bank of Turkey and the Bank of Austria and the Dutch National Bank and the Czech National Bank and the Bank of Poland. And all of these banks, the Bank of Hungary, they were all saying, send us our gold back, not just from the New York Fed, but also from the Bank of England. And so it began a, um, a movement that really caught my eye. And now, in 2018, the following year, this really accentuated when those same banks bought more gold as a group than they did in the 60 years previously combined. Now I'm starting to get really interested and, and really aware of what was happening. 2019 comes along, those numbers jump by almost 100%, north of 90%. The, the accumulation of gold by these central banks, which you know was, was out of nowhere, really, if, if we look back over the previous decade, and then the Bank of International Settlements came out with the declaration of revaluing gold as a high-quality liquid asset. Now, there's been some dispute. Is it a tier one or is it a high-quality liquid asset? In, in the end, they're the same thing. It's, it's as good as cash. When it's a hedge position, it is viewed by the Bank of International Settlements as good as cash. And I think if you look at that and realize that the acquisition of gold and the repatriation of gold, which was almost two two, two and a half years prior to this admission, you wonder, were they clued in on the, the revaluation of gold or on the reclassification of it? Were they told, get your house in order, repatriate your gold, you might want to stop buying it because we're going to reclassify it as, as good as cash. So this really started to get me interested in, in what was happening. And So just to interrupt you there, would the U.S. have been left out of that conversation? No, they, actually they were not. This was all part of the Basel III. Uh, right, but I'm saying if they were telling central banks, you should start repatriating gold, this is what's going to happen. Whether or not they were left out of it or they just decided not to do it or accumulated other ways um, is, I guess, debatable. 
And, um, you know, you wonder where Gaddafi's gold is, where Saddam Hussein's gold is, just saying, you know, the Ukraine sold out of $25 billion worth of gold to fund the war. Where did that go? So I don't know where the U.S., if the U.S. was accumulating gold or if they weren't or if they were getting it in other ways. But the U.S. certainly wasn't part of the narrative. These were all the Eastern European banks. And ironically, most of the banks that were doing it were uh, either part of the European Union um, or, or in that general region, but most of them did not trade the euro. They traded their own currency within the European Union. So these are the banks that I believe ultimately will shift towards the BRICS nations. I digress. 2020, I start to notice the second very interesting piece of the puzzle, and, and that was the Chinese Belt Road and Rail Initiative. And, and this is the largest infrastructure project in human history, and it's connecting Asia and Africa and parts of South America and Europe, the old Silk Road. But, but that's been developing for, what, over a decade It now. has been, but it really started to gain traction in 2020. And I'm looking at it and realizing that all 13 OPEC-producing countries are on the Belt Road. Almost 70% of, of human population and 40% of global GDP on this, this um, growing group of, of countries and, and it's all void of U.S. dollar participation. Most of it's settling on the new Chinese digital yuan. And so it started to get my, I started to, to get this feeling that, look, a lot of the countries that are part of the Belt Road, China and India and, and, and Russia, and um, these are countries that are accumulating all of the gold and, and, and producing all of the gold. And you start to see this growing group of countries and kind of the isolation of the dollar. Now, this really didn't all fit into what I was talking about until shortly after 2021. 2020, the banks are still buying gold. And um, 2021 rolls around and we see the day that we leave Afghanistan in, in a very unharmonious way. Saudi Arabia, I think at that point, signed the death warrant for the end of the petrodollar. The day we left Afghanistan or the day after, and I think there is no coincidence in the timing, Saudi Arabia announces a joint military cooperation agreement with Russia. You know, I often ask... And, and just to recap, leaving Afghanistan, deserting, deserting. weapons, deserting allies, yes. deserting personnel. Leaving our own servicemen and women behind enemy lines was something that would have been considered inconceivable in, in the United States that I grew up in. And... I think that really signaled something to our allies and certainly to our foes. And, um, you know, I ask people what makes the dollar the world reserve currency, and most people don't know. But in 1974, after three years after we closed the gold window, Kissinger went to Saudi Arabia and struck a deal with the Saudi Kingdom and said, hey, we'll protect you, but for that, you'll denominate oil globally in dollars. And, and they have through OPEC. And this has created a massive synthetic demand for the dollar for the last 50 years. Signaling a change in that by a joint military cooperation agreement with Russia was a huge, huge move that really got very little, if any, attention in the Western media. But now things are really starting to click in for me. And I'm starting to see not only global de-dollarization, but also groupings that are, are growing together, like all 13 of the OPEC producing countries on the Belt Road, like shortly thereafter, China and Nigeria, who also signed the same contract with Russia, selling their gold to China for the petro yuan bond, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. And this is how countries like Iran have sidestepped sanctions for quite some time, selling their oil to China for a bond that is immediately convertible into gold, and they take possession of it right off the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So these things are starting to speed up at this point, and, and I'm really starting to notice that there's a growing group of countries that are formulating around the BRICS that are, I think, coalescing against the dollar, the, the hypocrisy, the, the, the hegemony of the dollar, and um, you could see it, you could feel it, and, and you could watch all of the gold that was, was being sent eastward and the accumulation and, and the de-dollarization. 2022 rolls along and the weaponization of the dollar, as you mentioned, um, where I believe it's not the prerogative of the West to say who can and can't use the world reserve currency. It should be more for public opinion, not for the administrator of the currency to decide who can and can't use it. And it was that moment, and I often ask people, do you think this was intended? You know, we have 130 trillion in debt, 31 trillion that's on balance sheet. And 
Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, which is 55 trillion underfunded in and of itself, and government military pensions, render us insolvent. Most of this debt accumulated at the lowest interest rates in human history. Was it intended? Did we want to pick a villain to create this great reset, to, to, accept, to all of a sudden start the de-dollarization? And this is where the story gets very interesting as it turns from here. Okay, well, let's, let's revisit some of those points there. So the dollar starts to unravel in this narrative when Saudi Arabia starts to make deals with China and the petrodollar is in jeopardy. So you're saying Saudi Arabia is now looking at Russia for protection. And if you're Saudi Arabia, you're thinking two things. For one thing, you're watching how the dollar was weaponized in the Russia in the invasion of Ukraine, and you're going, well, we don't want that. We can't have that happen to, to our assets. What if the U.S. wakes up one morning and don't like our human rights policies, for example, or something else, uh, or some other situation that could happen in the Middle East and decides to do the same to us? Maybe this isn't the best way to keep our reserves. But you've also got Russia not really projecting tremendous strength via this conflict in Ukraine. So why would the Saudis make such a bold decision before seeing who is the bigger military power in, in play? Yes, that, has, that is part of the equation. That's a, fair, that's a fair statement. This was before the Ukraine invasion, number one. And secondly, you know, the day after these announcements came out, Zero Hedge ran an article saying Saudi Arabia announces to the world that their, their nuclear submarines are outfitted with hypersonic ICBMs. This, this is the technology the West doesn't have. The State Department commented and said they're very concerned about it. These are the missiles that can go Mach 10 up in the atmosphere and hit the ground at the speed of an asteroid. That was, I think, their way of saying, don't even try to do what you did to uh, Gaddafi and Hussein. Don't even think about it. It was a, a veiled threat, let's say. Um, and I think this is another reason why you, when you realize that also uh, last year, we see the Saudis say, well, we have submitted our application to the BRICS. So you have a, 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 a growing unison of uh, countries that are joining together that in and of themselves maybe can't project that strength, maybe can't stand up to the West, but together as a group, their, their militaries are stronger, their GDPs are bigger. I think it's, it's a growing chorus of, of countries standing up to that hypocrisy, standing up to, to the West in a way that they've never been able to do in and of themselves. And, um, well, we'll leave the word hypocrisy aside for now, but let's just say standing up to a system where the U.S. can continue to print dollars and then that makes the debt that they owe the U.S. become bigger and bigger and bigger. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll put aside the moral argument of the U.S.'s role on, on the global yes, stage. Yes, and it is a perceived, you know, a perceived hypocrisy. I'm not saying it is, but that's their perception. That's, that's, that's a fair enough point. So we're going to see this bifurcation of the global monetary system. Absolutely. Break that down in further detail. How does this play out from here? Well, you have all of these countries joining the BRICS that you put them all together along with the Shanghai Corporation Organization and the Belt Road. You're talking north of 80% of human population and all it would take. Now, you have to remember, we're coming from a period of time where asset prices were blown sky high over the last several years with more money being created in the last three than in the history of the country preceding it, a lot of that money found its way into assets. And you have the misallocation and the distortions that are created by this. All it would take would be for Saudi Arabia to stand up on, on the stage, as they just told the folks at the Davos conference that we're now gonna, going to uh, consider taking other currencies for oil. We've already been told that the BRICS currency would be pegged to gold or to commodities, and the assumption being gold being one of the commodities. I think all it would take would be Saudi Arabia to say to the West, thanks for the memories, it's been great, we appreciate it, but we're gonna open up oil purchases in other currencies, not just dollars, maybe euros and ruble and rupee and gold, and all of a sudden, bang, all of the countries that have had to hold dollars for the last 50 years no longer have really have any interest in holding them. And if they all start to dump dollars, and I think it would happen quickly, where they would all dump dollars, you have a tsunami of inflation hitting the shores of the West that would immediately create a spike in interest rates to compensate for the loss of purchasing power. This is how we see a great reset as 
as interest rates spike in, in relation to a crashing dollar, which then is inversely correlated to asset prices that have gone stratospheric over the last few years, and I would argue um, irrationally. And as interest rates spike and this inverse correlation hits the shores, stocks, bonds, and real estate, along with the crashing dollar, all collapse at the, at the very same time. And when I ask, do you think it was intended, you know, I guess I'm kind of tongue in cheek, but if you think about it, now you have a villain instead of blaming the Fed for creating these distortions and letting this happen. You know, you have the Fed there saying they're going to raise rates, but they, they, they've done a woeful job at raising them high enough to tackle inflation. All right, let's 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 put a pause on that one before we get into the great reset, which I understand also opens the way for central bank digital currencies and a complete revamp of the system. And let's first focus on how we get to this de-dollarized global economy, or at least an economy where the dollar plays a less significant role. So in this bifurcation of the global monetary system, what relevance does the dollar have? The dollar will I mean, always, it's still in play. Yeah, the dollar will always have a, a, a relevance to it, and maybe it's not in its current state. But the thing that I think is really important to understand is that these agreements that are being made with the BRICS represent such a massive part of, of, of GDP and of population. At what point does the West decide to or attempt to trade with this group? Are they even going to be welcomed into it? I don't know. It just seems they're being isolated. Well, because the dollar is so powerful and because the United States has enjoyed so much privilege having a global reserve currency, why would it just give it up without a fight? Well, they I will. Mean, they will fight and they won't just give it up. But you know, a lot of people will make the analogy to the euro that they, all these countries came together and it didn't work. And I think there's something to be said for that. But when you look at all of these countries coming together in, in a similar rallying cry for whatever that rallying cry is against the West, it is the backing of the new system by commodities and perhaps all of it denoted on a distributed ledger. The new the digital yuan, which has been running for the last four years backing the, the Belt Road to the tune of over 20 billion in successful transactions would be, I believe, the rails to a new BRICS currency that would show the immutability of what every country pegged or pledged to the new system that gives it the glue to make it work, where everyone has the same equal footing, equal say at the table. This to me is what would make the system work, as Zoltan Pozar calls it, a new system backed by commodities. Right. Bretton Woods three rather than a system backed by debt instruments and promises. And Andy, we have had other guests on the show, Frank Juster for one, who mentioned this over a year, a year ago, that he sees the trend developing where you will have a central bank digital currency or digital currency on the blockchain backed, not necessarily pegged, by backed by gold and a basket of other commodities. And the transparency that the blockchain allows creates a sense of faith amongst the other countries going to the expression um, that there's perhaps distrust amongst them with regards to how they handle their own affairs. Right. So, but again, the idea that the United States is just going to hope that it will be included in this trade system, it just seems a bit far-fetched that there wouldn't be a more aggressive push oh, to maintain sure that kind of status. Well, what would that look like? What would that look like? I, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm sure they'll resort to any and all options. Is it a war? Uh, is, well, it a, it is it a looks, kinetic war? It certainly looks like we're heading in that direction right now. You know, with what's happening, we're, we're funding the Ukraine to a total of almost $100 billion. We're selling them Stinger missiles and drones, providing, you know, tanks and, and intelligence. I mean, you could argue in, in a court of law, we would be an accomplice to a crime. I, you could argue we are moving in that direction. And, and maybe that is what they're going to resort to. But um, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I think the bottom line is simply this. We are indebted to a level that will never pay it back and interest rates are rising. So at what point do people want to start receiving something that is tangible for the commodities that they're trading or for the business that they're doing with, with a country that is, 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 is paying them in inflated dollars? And certainly the Treasury market is rife with, with risk at this point in, in a rising interest rate market. I think the, the, the bloom is off the rose for the West. So what does it entail? How do they fight back? I'm sure they will, and, and maybe it is war. I don't know, but your point is valid. Is the, the conflict then against the Saudis or the Chinese? Because it seems as though you're saying that the Saudis are the kingmakers in all of this. 
if they come out and say, no more petrodollar. So who would the U.S. potentially direct its wrath at? That's a good question. I think the Saudis are joining the BRICS nations so that they have, they have protection from countries that have the ability to, to back them and stand up to the West. I think, you know, certainly the, the Saudis would be the linchpin of it all. Yeah. But if they're joining a group, uh, a group that has the ability to stand behind them and protect them as part of a unified nation or a unified group, it would seem that they're picking a fight with everybody. Right. Well, let's focus on the R in the BRICS, and that's Russia, because a lot of this depends on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which many would say is a proxy war, with the U.S. really being so active and participating, now sending tanks, which was a line they said that they wouldn't cross initially. Uh, potentially, there's now a request from Ukraine for F-16s. Right. We'll see if that happens. If Russia loses this war, what does it mean for this whole reset theory? Does it jeopardize the BRICS ability to launch this currency that challenges the dollar? You know, it may. Uh, it may slow things down. It may derail it. It may change the way that it, it plays out. But look, ever since the sanctions, you're still seeing north of 80% of the world trading with Russia. It hasn't bothered the majority of the world. So, and I guess, what does lose mean? I don't know. Um, how, how bad does this get? and who gets dragged into it. There are a lot of what ifs and suppositions there. I don't know, and these are all valid points. And again, this is a, a chain of events that I've seen accumulating over time, and I guess there's fluidity to it. Sure. There's no question about it. And it certainly, um, I'm cer it, it certainly changes making this something that's cut and dry. There will be an outcome that I guess we'll have to see, but. I don't think it changes the, the global de-dollarization, the global drive away from the dollars. And if, if Russia is um, hampered in any way by their ability to hold up their end of the bargain with the BRICS, so be it. I still don't think it changes the ultimate move away from the U.S. Well, dollar. look, Andy, every global reserve currency known to man has lost its place in the sun. Absolutely. You know, So it has been dethroned. It is sort of the natural cycle of events. And and to your point about these countries sort of not really paying that much attention to the sanctions, we just had um, Yellen in South Africa speaking to President Cyril Ramposa saying, hey, you guys are kind of contravening the sanctions a little bit. You need to play nicely. But it, we don't know how much weight her word has if we're not seeing the U.S. willing to back it up with, with what, military, right? I mean, is that is that what it comes to? Why have people played along all this time? Was it because of the assumed military might of the United States? I think that was had a lot to do with it. And look, a lot of these countries a decade ago were in no position to do this. You know, when the when in, when in 1974, when when uh, Kissinger signed this contract, you know, the Middle East was 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 a poor, yeah. a poor area. They weren't enriched and they weren't developed the way that they are right now. And you could say the same thing about China. The progression that they've made as an industrialized nation is, is extraordinary. So I guess it's just like you said, to your point, it's it's the time. You go back to the 1400s. Almost every every currency had between an 80 and 100 year lifespan. We're already, you know, we're out we're on the outskirts of that. Living on borrowed time, you could argue from an historical perspective. So maybe we've just run the course of of our currency. Andy, who's on Team Dollar? Who would prefer the dollar other than the United States? Although you argue that this may be a way to reset everything and we'll get back to that. But who would prefer for the dollar to maintain its status? Well, I suppose yeah. those countries in, that are part of the Western alliance, Canada, uh, Australia, the United Kingdom, Japan. And I don't know if they really do want it to continue. I don't, I don't know who is on team dollar. I guess I haven't thought that that far out, to be quite honestly. I haven't thought about it that way. I guess all I'm looking at is, is mathematics. And when you see such a massive shift of human population coalescing uh, against the dollar, and it's very obvious to see when you see shifts away from accepting the dollar for oil by countries already and admissions by, by Saudi Arabia to look to other currencies, I think you have to take a real hard look at what happens if all of a sudden the world doesn't need to own dollars to buy oil. And, and it's not just oil, because we're seeing a move away from U.S. treasuries globally. Well, certainly from China, Of course. Right? Not just China, Saudi Arabia, all of these countries. Why would anyone buy our treasuries earning 
with inflation, double that by metrics that arguably are wrong. You know, I don't know if you've ever had John Williams with Shadow Stats on your show, but you know, he'll show you numbers that the way the inflation was calculated prior to 1980, when they changed the numbers, and he would say inflation's at 15% right now. But even using 7% inflation with a 3.5% yield on the 10-year Treasury, you're guaranteed a real return of negative 3.5% compounding over 10 years. Why would anyone want to do that? And so you're right, it's not just the dollar market, it is the Treasury market. And we are incentivizing by the, the underperformance and the mismanagement of the dollar and what's happened to the, the yields on the treasuries for other people or, or for these countries to find other ways. And I guess, you know, they're looking at the U.S. with this unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus printing away and saying, well, now our debts are larger. The U.S. is just devaluing our reserves. So I can understand how the sentiment against the dollar would be building up in the scenario. So let's assume this does play out and we do have a split in the monetary system and the dollar loses its value and perhaps this uh, BRICS reserve currency, which is digital, which is backed by commodities, comes into play and becomes a, a leading player on the global stage. Walk us through what happens to the dollar and for those holding dollars back home. Yeah, I think at that point, you know, you have a, a wave of dollar selling. Every country on the planet, nearly 85% of all oil sales have been in dollars for, I don't know, the last 50 years, if not more. All of these countries, it's the foundation of their currencies. And if all of a sudden the dollar starts to tank, it'll be a, a tsunami of selling, sell, 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 in order to um, not be crushed by the wave of selling. And I think when, the, when that happens, and you have all of the dollars hitting the shores here, you have that inflationary spike in interest rates. It has to compensate for the loss of purchasing power. Interest rates would have to spike. And when I started in this industry, stocks and bonds were inversely correlated to one another. One another. It was called risk on and risk off. And when you realize that they are now positively correlated to one another because interest rates have been driven so low, a spike in interest rates cripples both the bond and the stock market and, of course, the real estate market. The pillars of wealth in the United States center around stocks, bonds, and real estate. If the dollar gets dumped globally, and there's way more dollars outside the U.S. than there are domestically, if all of a sudden they get dumped globally because you don't have to hold them to buy oil anymore, and they hit our shore, spiking interest rates, you see a collapse simultaneously in all three pillars of wealth, including the dollar. On this idea of oil, though, there has been an attempted shift away from oil towards solar, towards natural gas, towards uh, various other forms of clean energy, nuclear even, perhaps. So is it that relevant, what no. oil is priced in, no, because if, if the shift is away from, from oil? No, because this is the whole reason that OPEC and Saudi Arabia want to leave us. Why would they want to not only receive our depreciating dollars and treasuries and, and sell us their oil when we're telling them in 30 years we're going to be completely green? So instead, they're focusing their energy on what amounts to north of 80% of human population who is not going green and who is not challenging their way of life. And so I think it is actually the catalyst by which Saudi Arabia makes this shift. Once they have their alliances and they feel safe, um, I think they'll make that switch and it will happen quickly. I think when that switch flips, it happens really quickly. But no, I think in fact, um, we're making a mistake by doing that. I think we're making a very big mistake by, by making the admission to the Saudis that we want to go green. We're ruining their way of life is the way they're looking at it. So why would they want to do any special favors for us? And this is why they came out and said to Xi Jinping that you are our most important trade uh, partner in oil today and for the next 50 years. That's a big deal because we've been their biggest trade partner for the last 50 years. So I think really it is the key point only in reverse. So, okay. yeah, it matters, but it matters more for them than it does for us. Well, because you could say that developing countries have been put off by this idea. You guys have used carbon fossil fuels to grow your economies. Now that we're trying to do the same, you're telling us, no, we can't do that and hampering our growth. And, and that's why you see 152 countries on the Belt Road Initiative. Yeah. And these are all the developing nations. And that's exactly right. And this is this grouping of humanity that I think, and that's why I 
say the word hypocrisy. This is not my word. It's just my perceive, my perception of the way that they would view us by making these declarations. What about other commodities that are not oil that you would still need to use dollars to buy? Do you? Is that where the split then just comes in? Well, I mean, you could argue you have to, as the dollar is the world reserve currency, all of these commodities come into play. And it's interesting, the the president of one of the one of the Asian countries, and it skips me right now, recently recently came out and said that that these countries, because most of the rare earth metals are found in Eurasia, should uh, institute a OPEC style cartel for rare earth metals. You know, we're going green, yet most of what we need to make batteries are found in the Eurasian continent. Maybe you have to use dollars to convert to the new currency to buy rare earth metals. I don't think we've thought this through very well. And so I don't know if, we, if the dollar loses its reserve status, who's going to want to sell their commodities for dollars? Okay. First, you'll have to convert to whatever it is they, they want to accept. All right, and as you said, you're joining the dots, data points that seem to be making sense in this narrative that seems to be unfolding. What would be a projected timeline? You know, I don't know. I, I think the timing is the hard part, but I will say this. When I started talking about this three years ago, it was spinning slowly. And you can see the rapid ascension and, and, and the progression of, of these alliances being made. And just in the last few weeks, we see Saudi Arabia make that admission about China being their most important trade partner. And just last week, the admission that they're willing to accept other currencies for oil. It seems to be accelerating. And, and since the weaponization of the dollar in 2022, it seems to be spinning much, much faster. I don't know when, it, when the, the switch flips, but sooner than we probably think. Let's now connect the two parts of de-dollarization and the Great Reset, which is an agenda of the World Economic Forum, best crystallized by the line, you shall owe nothing and be happy, and their timeline, which of course is 2030. So make the connection for us between de-dollarization and the Great Reset, and also explaining further what the Great Reset is. Well, that's, that's just what I said. You have asset prices stratospherically high where price discovery has become impossible because of the distortions in, in the money supply and in interest rates. And it's created environments where corporations can buy back their shares, where hedge funds can borrow money and plow it into, into the markets and, and make huge returns on, and huge bonuses, but have created distortions in asset prices. So if we see that moment, and when, you know, I tried to factor in what Klaus Schwab said and the possibility of it happening, and it all centers around the weaponization of the dollar wasn't intended. Did they, did they know that by making this unilateral move that it would create a backlash and, and have a villain to point to, OPEC and Russia and China, and these, they did it, we didn't, they did it to us. And, and in that environment where asset prices are very high and the dollar is, is forsaken, creating that environment of spiked interest rates and, and, and an inflationary tsunami of dollars hitting our shore, you see everything collapse that's when they would come in and roll out their new CBDC. We know that they're already doing it. Uh, they're already creating it. The Bank of International Settlements said every country has to have it by 2025. This gives them cover to roll it in. If you look at the Fed, the number two person at the Fed is Lael Brainerd. In fact, I thought she was gonna actually win the spot for the Fed uh, instead of Powell. They reappointed him, but they made her number two. She's a modern monetary theorist. She wants to get rid of the, the commercial banks. She wants to do moner, moner, monetary policy directly to your iPhone. And so it would fit perfectly that this would happen sometime um, in the next few years anyway, where she could come in and administer a, a, a central bank digital currency and from the ashes of what would be a, a new system. And maybe they come out and issue a gold-backed CBDC. Who knows? point of it is, is that if you wanted to create a reset, and I couldn't think of any other way that they could do it, because look, if Powell wanted to create a reset himself, all he would have had to do is jacked up the reserve requirements at the banks and raise interest rates to 20%, just like Paul Volcker did. Bang, it's over, just like that. Instead, they pussyfoot around with quarter and half point interest rates that still render the return on the 10-year treasury negative. They're not doing anything to fix inflation. So if they really wanted to reset the system, jack up asset prices, um, and then incentivize the world to find an alternative, weaponize the dollar, and it's done for you with a villain to point to. 
That's why I put the dots together. Not saying it's going to happen. Just simply saying, what's that Occam's razor? You put everything together and maybe the most plausible, logical explanation is the right one. I hope I'm wrong. My youngest is 15 years old. And, and I don't I don't want to be right, but I have a feeling, unfortunately, that I am. Well, on the Oxford Razor, you could say that the simplest explanation is just sheer incompetence. Never yeah. attribute <laughs> to malice what can be ascribed to stupidity. Fair enough. Fair enough. Either they're really, really stupid or they're nefarious. Yeah. So let's go back to the nefarious angle, because you keep on saying they, they, they. Who is the they here? Who's behind the, the World Economic Forum? Who, who, look, who, the Federal Reserve, they have to understand that we've dug ourselves into a hole that we can never dig ourselves out of. A trillion seconds ago was 31,688 years ago. You know, how do you dig yourself out of 100 plus trillion in debt as interest rates rise? You don't, you can't. And so they being the people that realize the mathematics have gotten too big and we have squeezed as much utility out of a currency, a dying currency and a Keynesian system as we humanly possibly can. So either, it, either we default or inflate. I guess that's really the only two options. Or as you suggest, burn the whole thing down yes. and start over with a CBDC. Take the Monopoly board and throw it up in the air and start over, new game. And that is the conclusion that I came up with only by connecting these dots and saying, why, geez. Why would people go along with it? Why would people that have a lot at stake in the current monetary system not push back on this. The, the would, billionaires of the I world, I would for argue, example. why do you see record withdrawals off the COMEX and the LBMA, where the LBMA is losing not only its base metals, but all its precious metals, where the COMEX is at the lowest level of, of, of inventory in terms of what they have in the registered category, maybe ever close to it, but a massive drawdown. Why are we seeing the central banks buy more gold than at any time in the last 55 years? The people who have who are closest to the, the information and have the most money, yeah. they're making an exodus quietly. You know, why do we see uh, uh, India import 400 million ounces of silver and the mainstream isn't talking about it? These countries not only are, a, and, and players, wealthy, family offices, sovereign wealth funds, they're not just accumulating the metal, they're withdrawing it off of the exchanges. Silver we're, and gold. We're, yes, and where it loses a good deal of its industrial liquidity. If you want to have metal as an investment, you leave it in the COMEX warehouses because you have industrial liquidity. Where Elon Musk says, I'll pay $50 premium for every ounce of silver people want to sell. No, this stuff is being shipped outside the exchanges. It's a very big deal. So to your point, just like in 1933 when gold was confiscated, so much of it, the insiders shipped their gold to the safe deposit boxes by steamship of, of Switzerland before FDR confiscated gold. Maybe these people who are draining the exchanges in a precipitous way for the last three years are front running what is coming. And so most people in this country, 60% of them or so are living paycheck to paycheck. They can't even write out a check for $5,000. So they'll be happy to be given stimulus and handouts attached to a new central bank digital currency. And of course, with the central bank digital currency, which is programmable, yes. you just click and everybody automatically gets what they need. That's uh, right. So break down the relationship between the CBDCs. Well, for, firstly, is it one CBDC representing the BRICS, backed by commodities? And then how do the other countries come in with their versions of CBDCs? So uh, I think ultimately it will be one. A lot of the countries- One universal. Yes, for the CBDC. But right now they're all creating their own. And the Chinese built something called the M-Bridge, as in Mary M-Bridge, which is a cross-border payment system for central bank digital currencies. And they did this with uh, United Arab Emirates and one other company, Singapore country, maybe Singapore. I forgot the third country. but. It's irrelevant. The point is, is that this allows cross-border uh, payments sidestepping the SWIFT system in central bank digital currencies. That's the bridge, if you will, to a common currency. But they are all de-dollarizing. They are all moving away from the dollar as sole settlement. Turkey just created their own. Turkey also imported more gold than any country in the world last year. And they just applied for BRICS. So they're all doing it little by little by little. They asked... Um, Ernest Hemingway, I believe, how'd you go broke? 
little by little by little than all at once. And I think that's what's happening. Slowly it's a, then suddenly. It's a chess game and they're moving the pieces and, and then they say checkmate, but not until they're all in position. So to your point earlier, your question, timing, don't know, but watch how the chess pieces keep. So how does gold play into this role? If, you, if you're backed by commodities, you eliminate the option of printing, which takes away a lot of power for the central banks themselves, right. Absolutely. as they've been able to do for their own countries. But I get that they would need to do this to have legitimacy on the global stage. So they would have to, I guess, sacrifice the ability to print money in order to be seen legitimate on, yes. on the world stage. I think they would do it in two ways. They would not allow it to be convertible because de Gaulle from France pr proved that convertible currencies convert and they would fractionalize it. Maybe 20% of every new BRICS currency is pegged to gold or to a commodity that has shown the veracity and the immutability of which is shown on their distributed ledger. So I don't think it would be a one-to-one -one pegging that would still give them the latitude to enact monetary policy. But I think gold would be the anchor instead of being able to let them print unabated. It would allow them at least to run monetary policy with some tether to prudence. So let's assume we've listened to you and we've bought some gold ourselves. Let's assume it's 2030, which is the timeline of the World Economic Forum, which is only seven years away. Right. And we've got central bank digital currencies, which to me are very terrifying because yes. every single transaction can be seen by the government every single time you spend, pay for something, zero privacy, zero anonymity, and perhaps more concerningly, the ability to program when and what you can spend on. But let's assume we're there, but I've listened to Andy and I've bought some gold and I have my gold bars and gold coins and silver coins safely hidden away. How would I practically be able to use that to my benefit in this world? Because I think it allows you safety when the system collapses. So look, if a CBDC rolls out and we all have no choice but to use it, either you use it or you're in a black market. But what it does is it gives you options when others have none. And um, you know that's why guys like Jim Rickards and Jim Sinclair say gold will reach crazy levels, 10,000 an ounce, because it'll be pegged to a new system. So not only does it allow you not just to survive, maybe even thrive, maybe this is why the biggest money in the world is drawing down the supplies of all of these exchanges before it becomes obvious that's their life raft but it'll be options and what, what? Maybe you have to sell it and go into the new CBDC when you decide to do it. We have to play with, within the game that, you know, the rules that are, are, are afforded to us, but I think it gives you options when others have none. So it would allow me to preserve yes. my wealth yes. and then I would need to convert it, I suppose, into CBDCs in order to to function Correct. Or in the barter, system. I guess, in theory. Or, but Or perhaps have a, a side system where yes. people are dealing. Well, with... you never know. I guess it depends how the CBDC goes over. Where, where do you see something like Bitcoin play into this? Because we've had people who are saying the same narrative, but instead of gold, they have Bitcoin as, as the answer. You know, I'm not a Bitcoin basher, but I'm... I, I look at gold as it's lived through two world wars, German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, and every pandemic, and it's still immutable wealth. What is the only asset every central bank owns? Gold. And I think that uh, there are some that own Bitcoin, yeah. not all of them. Well, I, on, on that point, I mean, Canada, correct me if I'm wrong, where we currently are, has sold off the majority it's of its, of, of its gold. And, and so did Eng the Bank of England. Gordon I mean, Brown Canada sold most has of their gold practically no gold. Stupid. Well, maybe they think it's the gold in the ground. Maybe at that point they nationalize it. I don't know. It, it makes zero sense. It really does. But, you know, again, that was a trend that was happening for quite some time. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they just bought some gold for the first time. Not mistaken, they just bought some in 2022. Now, I'm not positive on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Point of it is, is that um, I think there will come a realization that, you know, interest-bearing assets in this environment isn't the most important thing. And you would think a country like Canada would wise up. They certainly have a lot of it in the ground, some of the most in, in the world. So maybe that will be their, their answer to this, as we nationalize the mines and don't allow any of it to leave, leave the country. Don't know. Right. But it's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's you bring it's, up a lot of good points. Thank you. It's a scary world you're you're painting here, Andy. 
again, is there a mastermind? Is this orchestrated by someone or is this just how things develop and certain players are positioning themselves to take advantage of it? Are there ever coincidences? I don't know. I would like the scariest part of it all, Michelle, is are there, is there a mastermind behind it? If it is, it makes it much more frightening uh, because it is orchestrated, it is thought out, it is planned out. Um, and maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe it's circumstances that have come into play that are now being taken advantage of to paint the narrative or a picture that they want. And who is they? I don't know. They are the ones that are pulling the strings, uh, the Federal Reserve, the, the big money, um, the World Economic Forum. Maybe they have more clout and more pull than we think. But anyways, I think it might be a combination of both. If I had to really guess, I would say that this is thought out. And it all comes down to the fact that if you don't see the consequences of weaponizing the world reserve currency on a, on a world stage, when 85% of the world is still trading with Russia, yeah. then either you're, you're really stupid or, or you're, you're really, you, you see what you're doing and you know the outcome. You're either stupid or arrogant or in on it. Right. So with that, is there anything that derails this? Is there anything that happens anything at all, even if it's, even if this, this war escalating into well, a nuclear that, crisis. That would certainly I mean, do what, it. what derails this track from happening? Maybe the U.S. comes out and beats the bricks to the punch and issues a gold-backed CBDC right away and has, shows, here's all the gold that we said that we had, the, the 8,300 metric tons that hasn't been audited since 1956, and here it is. And we now connected it to a central bank digital ledger for everyone to see, and Here's our new gold-backed currency, and maybe it allows us to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and, and we don't see uh, the world dumping dollars. Maybe. I mean, that, that certainly would be a, a step in the right direction because I think there comes a time where, you know, where you just keep drinking the water down milk and pretty soon it's not milk anymore. And, and I think we're at that point. So to me, that would be the one place that we could so go. So the U.S. gets ahead of the curve, realizes it needs to do a reset anyway. Right. Wipes the slate clean, but comes out with, hey, we have our own CBDC, digital dollar Fed coin, backed by gold. So use this for the new system. But let's just forget about all that debt. In conjunction with the International Monetary Fund. Yeah. Yeah, which is 150 countries from around the world who all join on board. But what I'm hearing either way is that a CBDC, digital money, programmable There's on no the blockchain question. is inevitable. And I think it's less to do with the privacy aspect, or certainly the government likes that, and more to do with monetary policy, the way money is created right now by being lent into existence by a commercial bank system that doesn't want to lend money into this economy, where $2 trillion is in the overnight repo market, where the, the FDIC uh, Systemic Resolution Board publicly in November has a, a video that's now out saying that, you know, maybe we shouldn't tell the, 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 the country that there's going to be a run on the banks yes. because of the unintended consequences. And maybe we don't want the public to know that they have more confidence in the banking system than the people in this room do. So when you see all of these things coming together, you know, you have to wonder where does it lead? I don't know, Michelle, and, and I don't, pro, you know, profess to be a, a soothsayer or a prophet, just simply looking at all the pieces and saying, if I were over there and I had something as precious as oil, I don't think I'd want to sell it for dollars and treasuries any longer. You know, on the FDIC comment, we had Lynette Zhang on, who broke down how Dodd-Frank actually allows for bail-ins where the banks can take deposit the, the money of depositors yes. and bail themselves out, and that's legal, that's there. And, and that was that meeting that you were talking about, that they just don't want to tell people, even though it's there, people just need to, to pay attention and watch. Absolutely. Well, Andy, you've certainly been paying attention. So what is the recourse of action for an individual? Do what the big money is doing. Uh, remove counterparty risk and de-dollarize. Mitigate your exposure to the dollar. Look, my friend Rick Rule says it best. Mm -hmm. If you're not a contrarian, you're going to be a victim. I think this is the time to to embrace that and to um, truly diversify outside the dollar. When people talk about a diversified portfolio, all of it comes back to the dollar. And I think having something outside the system, looking what the biggest money in the world is doing, not just big money, but sophisticated, 
because when you're pulling that much money off of Comex and the LBMA, you're sophisticated too. Follow what they're doing, and I think that's the best thing you can do. And that is what? Take possession of metal. Buy gold and silver. Take possession of it. Look at it as wealth. It's not an investment. It's wealth. And I think if you own enough of it, you'll be wealthy. But I tell people to own metals because it is wealth outside the system. And uh, outside a system that may be coming to its end stages. And, and that's really, I think, all you can do. Because if interest rates do spike the way that I think, there will be very few places. In fact, as, as my mentor in many respects, Richard Russell said, in a very bad bear market, he or she who loses least wins. And I think that's what this is all about, losing least putting yourself in a position to at least retain what we've worked so hard to, to accumulate all these years. Well, Andy, I hope you're wrong. So do I. <laughs> so do I. It's been enlightening, but I certainly hope you're wrong. Michelle, I appreciate uh, your pushback. You asked some great questions and raised some great points that I'll give a lot of thought to, and they're all valid, but I hope I'm wrong too. I really do. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's growing a little bit more and more and more like some of what I'm saying, if not all, right. has a chance of happening. I'm not saying I think you're wrong. I'm just saying I hope you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. All right, well. And Thank you all for watching, and we look forward to sharing more. Next Tuesday, 7 p.m., prn.live. Have a nice day, everyone.